Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Weighing of the Wands. Today we will be discussing Hermione being stuck in the middle again, what Rita Skeeter represents, and what might be going on behind the scenes with Sirius. So this chapter starts the next morning when Harry and Hermione talk, and she confirms that she believes him about not putting his name in, and tries to convince him to make amends with Ron, which he refuses to do. Hermione does convince Harry to write to Sirius to let him know what's happening. Harry goes to the Owlery to send the letter to Sirius, but then Hedwig also gets upset at Harry since he has to use a different owl to send his letter. Harry despairs that not even his pet owl likes him at the moment. Meanwhile, pretty much the entire school has turned against Harry, thinking that he tried to steal Cedric's spotlight. Harry and Malfoy get into a fight before potions class, during which their curses bounce off each other and hit their friends. Goyle gets green boils. <laughs> green boils, Goyle. <laughs> And Hermione's front teeth grow uncontrollably. Snape comes over to intervene, but says he sees no difference when looking at Hermione. He also takes 50 points from Gryffindor for Harry and Ron's protests of him, and gives them both attention together. Harry is then summoned by Ludo Bagman to go participate in a story the Daily Prophet is doing on the Four Champions prior to the wand-weighing ceremony. We are introduced to the journalist for the Daily Prophet, Rita Skeeter, who pulls Harry into a closet for a private interview, where she begins to ask Harry lots of personal questions about his current life and past traumas, and her quill begins to write on its own, greatly embellishing Harry's responses. Dumbledore interrupts them to announce that the weighing of the wands is about to begin, where a wand maker determines whether the champion's wands are in good condition. After the ceremony, the champions pose for pictures, and Rita Skeeter insists that Harry is front and center in all of them. Back in the Gryffindor dormitory, Ron informs Harry that he's had an owl and then ignores him. Harry reads Sirius's response. He is anxious about Harry and wants to meet again, this time via the common room fire. So, as we alluded to last chapter, most of the school hates Harry right now, mm -hmm. which, again, as we talked about, makes a lot of sense for what we know right now, which is that... Everything is always about Harry, and everyone assumes that he just entered himself, even though that doesn't really make a lot of sense if you think deeply about it. Um, but in the meantime, that's what everybody thinks. So let's discuss the difficult position that Hermione now finds herself in as the mediator between Ron and Harry and how she handles it. Yeah, so um, Hermione is starts out pretty frustrated and stays pretty frustrated is what I'll say. I think she starts out mm -hmm. feeling a little bit more like, okay, everyone's hurt and they're kind of both being annoying, but let me just see how it goes. And she does kind of try to talk to both of them. Um, and then continues to get more and more frustrated. Um, this will also continue in future conflicts between Harry and Ron, um, and she continues to be the mediator, um, or at sure. least be kind of in between. Um, and I think it, it is interesting to think about how Harry and Ron didn't speak to Hermione for a lot of Prisoner of Azkaban. So, um, yeah, because of the firebolt. And, and that time, it was totally their decision. They yeah. had a problem with her, and she never really stopped 
being their friend, like they just weren't talking to her, but she was still like hanging around and like, you know, she would, she was fine with them. It was just that they had a problem with her. Whereas here, Ron and Harry are both like, well, I'm not talking to him until he apologizes. Yeah. And Ron is totally fine to stop being friends with Harry um, up until the first task, basically. And then that's kind of reflected again in Deathly Hallows where he abandons, Ron abandons Harry and Hermione for a time. Although in that situation, he almost immediately regrets his decision. So there Mm -hmm. is some emotional growth over the course of the Mm -hmm. series. But it's definitely an illustration of how Ron and Harry are not on the same emotional level as Hermione is. Yes, definitely. And she is pretty... Yeah, she's she's pretty frustrated with them. And I think this is also, like, just a basic kind of, like, girls mature faster than boys type thing, which, mm. again, is not always the case and not 100% true. But I think especially at this age of, like, early teens, um, you know, they're not... Harry and Ron don't really have any emotional regulation. Yeah, or, or very little. And, um, and Hermione clearly has it together a lot better than they do. So um, I do want to think a little bit about how everyone comes to their respective conclusions on the matter of Harry's um, culpability in becoming Hogwarts champion. Because I think there is something interesting to talk about there. When they go down to visit Hagrid, um, when they talk to Sirius, when they talk to Ron, when they talk to Hermione, um, I think we we hear different kind of ideas from each of them. Ron's clearly reacting emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um Sirius and Hagrid, though, they don't seem to have thought too deeply about it either. They just, they believe Harry right away when Mm -hmm. he says, I didn't put my name in. They're like, of course you didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And Hermione, I think she reacts emotionally at first, you know, when she was really shocked in the Great Hall. But then when she thinks about it more, she's like, well, it wouldn't make any sense for you to have entered yourself. Mm -hmm. So she kind of gets to it from like a rational perspective, analytically. Whereas everybody else is either, like, trusting Harry or not trusting Harry. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah, it's not really about trust for her. I think she does trust Harry, like, pretty implicitly. But also, I think if if logic pointed to him doing it, she would also be more critical or suspicious or ask him more about it. Yeah. But she clearly, like, sort of after the whole scene in the Great Hall, I can imagine her... You know, not going to hang out with the other Gryffindors, going to her yeah, room just by going herself, up to bed. and like Ron did. But she's sitting there and she's thinking it through and realizing, okay, this is this makes no sense. This is kind of scary. This is probably dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she probably comes to a similar conclusion as Moody, and um, is kind of determined to follow that logic. Yeah. So speaking of Hermione, I feel like Snape's behavior in this chapter is some of the worst in the series. Uh, absolutely. I think this is maybe sn- the Snape's meanest moment. It's one of them, for sure. It's Top five them. meanest moments. Yeah. <laughs> um, when he says that he doesn't see a difference when her teeth are growing like past her chin. Um, and yeah, and then she just she runs off crying. I mean, literally... One of the like one of the strongest emotionally strongest characters in the series just runs off crying because Snape is just so cold and cruel. And you know, he who knows what he's thinking? He's just being cruel, but like he obviously knows that like he knows that something's happened and he knows that she has to go to the hospital wing 
And he's just kind of letting her deal with it and telling her basically, like, I'm not going to, like, care for you in any way. And said, even even if he's not, like, caring at all, he's like, Goyle, go to the hospital, like, mm-hmm. like and he's not going to say just he's not even going to willing to include her and say both of you go to the hospital wing and then turn to give them detention you know he's like yeah, not, not even, even willing to do that not even that like modicum of grace or respect and he's really i mean he is uh, probably you know as bad if not worse than James was to him as a bully to to everyone but especially to Hermione yeah and Neville as well um, and, and probably worse than James ever was to him. I mean, James humiliated him, but like, he seems like intentionally cruel and I, I don't know, maybe they're comparable in some ways, but it's definitely clear that he never really matured emotionally. I mean, Snape's in his thirties and he's still like torturing kids for fun. And uh, yeah. And the fact that it is, you know, Hermione and Neville, I mean, Hermione is in a lot of ways, like, you know because she's the smartest and because she's friends with Harry and Ron, like she has some support, but she's also, you know, considered, I guess, nerdy, I guess, considered unattractive or at least insinuated that um, up to this point. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, he is kind of playing on like the unpopular kids or whatever, like, which is what he was. Right. So he's like acting, he's definitely going to bully people that he feels like, will be hurt by him and that he can take like he would never i mean he he has he does you know have disdain for harry and even sometimes malfoy and people like that but he doesn't um you know he doesn't try to bully them in the same way yeah and yeah so maybe there's some part of him that just likes punching down i don't know um, and any any time you're bullying children as an adult, you're punching down for sure. Right. But I think one of the stranger things to think about, and we've, we've addressed this before on the show, but um, that Hermione is a parallel to Lily in a number of ways. Yeah. Um, just quickly, you know, very gifted witch, very kind, muggle-born. She and Harry, who's a parallel for James, are also very good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Snape is so mean to her because of what that represents to him, like yeah. his lost crush basically um and the fact that james was a terrible bully to him or maybe he doesn't see the irony at all or maybe it's a subconscious thing he's lashing yeah. out you know i don't know what it is but uh, i definitely see a lot of irony in the way that he treats hermione because mm-hmm. you know if it were a different person if it were a better person he would try to make it up to her use her as like a, a parallel to lily in the other way and be like you know, I, I'm sorry for everything wrong that I did to you and your family. Yeah. But instead, he's just kind of, like, harassing her and, and punching down again. You know, yeah, definitely. I think it's probably, un, you know, not conscious, but I think it probably is, like, that she kind of triggers that in him of, like, mm-hmm. this is, yeah, this is somebody who he once cared about somebody very similar, and she, you know, didn't pick him, and that, and he's, like, you know, punishing her for that. Yeah. Okay, so switching forward to the scene where we meet Rita Skeeter. So Rita Skeeter is a, you know, a fun and awful character um, <laughs> in the series and in the movies. Yeah. And so, you know, let's think about, like, what she is supposed to represent. I think, you know, in, on its face, kind of a very, like, tabloid journalist, you know, making up stories 
type thing. But what does she kind of represent in the series? Like, what's her role? She has a really interesting role in the series. At one point, she is basically just a problem that Harry has to deal with. You know, she's basically producing fake news. And he has to get out in front of it and, like, tell people, like, no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Hermione and me are not dating. We've never been together. Um, no, that's not true. Like, I don't cry about my parents every night. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 whatever. Um, sometimes, though, she does publish stories that are true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Hagrid being a half-giant. And then the whole thing with Dumbledore in book seven, mm-hmm. you know, like, a lot of that stuff turns out to have been true. So she is at once sort of like this... Um, fake news journalist Mm -hmm. and also um, a very tabloid like investigative journalist who does occasionally write the truth right Um, and so in that way she's kind of an exposition method Mm -hmm. for the author to get across different ideas or or revelations Um, but she's so unreliable that you kind of think twice about what she's saying and that's a major plot point in Deathly Hallows is that Harry doesn't know how to verify any of the things that she's yeah. written about. And at first he kind of brushes them off. Right. But then a lot of them turn out to be true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think she comes at the perfect time in this book to further separate Harry and Ron because the article that she writes about Harry makes him out to be very attention seeking and, and kind of a jerk. And like, he says that he like entered the tournament to make his parents proud of him mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And Harry's like, I didn't enter. Like you're twisting all my words to make me sound like, something completely different and ron's like oh yeah like he did enter yeah totally he, this makes it's written sense in the yeah. daily prophet so and then sort of like everybody buys into that too um so she's definitely divisive she's intentionally divisive she likes creating discord for the story you know um and i think she's a really fascinating character she has really interesting motivations yeah actually as you were talking about her i was thinking about her uh, kind of compared to Trelawney because I think they're actually kind of similar characters, not in the same exact way. Yeah, no, I think you're right. But about I think that. they are because they're both kind of painted as like, you know, crazy women that people don't really like that have some sort of profession that is considered to be, you know, dismissed or, mm-hmm. you know, not good enough. And Dumbledore se- certainly seems to really dislike her and think that she never writes anything true. Definitely. And it, she's just kind of considered a nuisance, you know, Harry or like our kind of narrator automatically doesn't like or doesn't trust her like Trelawney. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not the same thing necessarily as like, you know, Trelawney, actually all of Trelawney's predictions are true. Um, because not everything she writes is true, but like you said, like she maybe actually is a good journalist, that she, or that she is finding out things that are true and is good at, you know, exposing them, even if she does them in a not ethical way. And sometimes she's just using her quick quotes quill, which is the quill <laughs> that's writing made up stories for her. Um, it's a great idea, by the way. Which One is of great, my favorite little magical artifacts. Which is great. And so maybe sometimes she does that when it's sort of like she knows she's doing like a fluff piece. But I wonder, it would be kind of interesting to see her. It would be interesting to like go into her story a little bit. And like Mm -hmm. if we got, you know, uh, a little chapter or something about her. um, Yeah, JK Rowling, if you're listening, because I know you are. (laughs) uh, Write your next book um, as like a little short story from the perspective of Rita Skeeter during this book. That would be really fun. So in one of my favorite scenes from the book, because I'm such a wand nerd, mm-hmm. um, we get Ollivander back 
who is one of my favorite characters because he's such an enigma. He's such a weirdo. Um, and he's another one nerd. <laughs> and uh, I feel like if I were in this world, I would be his apprentice or something. Um, we get some interesting wand lore um, in this chapter, which I love. And uh, so first we, we learn all about the different wands of the champions. So their woods are made of holly, which is like a Christian imagery. Holly is like repels evil and is like, you know, Harry represents christ in the novels so that's like good christ imagery um crumbs wand is hornbeam which is like really strong and passionate um rosewood is fleur's wand which is like inner beauty and kindness um cedric's ash wand represents prudence modesty um and then we get to their cores i think this is maybe the most interesting thing crumbs is dragon heart string which to me has two meanings one is like strength and power the other one is that it foreshadows that we'll meet dragons for the first mm-hmm. time next chapter. Mm-hmm. Fleur's Vila hair is interesting because Ollivander doesn't use it. He says it's temperamental. So that symbolizes Fleur's temperamental nature as well as symbolizing her connection to the Vila race. Her mm-hmm. grandmother was one. Um, and then Cedric's is unicorn hair. Unicorns, obviously, very spiritual, beautiful animals. Um, Cedric's inner beauty and innocence and his upstanding moral virtue... Um, are symbolized in that wand. And then Harry's wand obviously is super important in this book um, because it has the Phoenix feather from Fox that symbolizes his connection to Dumbledore. And then as we will learn Voldemort, who has the other Phoenix feather wand from Fox. Um, And this also continues the Christ imagery um, of, you know, resurrection and purity and also the loyalty that Harry has for Dumbledore. Interesting thing is that because both Harry and Voldemort have this Phoenix feather wand. Both of them have the power of resurrection. Mm. Whereas Voldemort's though comes from the dark side of magic. Mm-hmm. Harry's comes from the light side of magic. So they're foils for each other in that way. One of them is the Christ. One of them is the antichrist. Um, so there's a lot of Christian symbolism that we can go into later on in the books, but uh, this is definitely like an early foreshadowing of all of that stuff wrapped up into this little lesson on on wands. And my questions about that are um, related to Harry and Voldemort's wand. Like, at this point, does Ollivander know a lot of things that he's not saying? Like, is there any sort of... Is there anything that, that Ollivander could have done to, you know, <laughs> prevent and or help anything here? That he yeah. could be like, hey, by the way... Um, yeah, and, and by the way, Dumbledore knows this too, but um, mm-hmm. Ollivander knows about the... the the wands twin cores the connection between them and dumbledore knows that um so olivander could have told harry that and doesn't i think olivander is this is one of the most interesting parts of his character to me he is completely neutral yeah he he is he has no interest in anything that goes on all he cares about is wands and he sort of wants the wands to do their thing and not he believes in fate basically he's like I give you like I give you the wand that chooses you. I have nothing to do with what happens after that. Mm-hmm. Like the the fox wand chose Voldemort, and that wand is clearly very special because it's done a lot mm-hmm. in the world. It's a very powerful wand. It's done terrible things, but I don't. I'm not a judge. I'm not going to judge the wand for doing yeah, all this terrible things. Yeah, and he sort things. of has no. I mean, yeah. And then it's like Harry gets the other one, right? And so clearly, there's something that's really cool that's going to happen between these two. They're fated to always be interacting. And he's because sort of, like, of the wand cool, connection. Let's see, like, so he's I fascinated mean, by that, but it's like an academic fascination. He has like, 
he has no interest in interfering with it. You know yeah, I mean? and I think that'll be really fascinating to talk about more when we, you know, see him imprisoned and everything in the later oh, books. Oh, yeah. Because I think it is, he's a very interesting character in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, the next time we have a conversation with Ollivander is in book seven at the um, the seaside cottage. I forget what it's called, but Bill and Fleur's house, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, he he has a very interesting kind of like, yeah, opt like opting out uh, sort of morality in the book of mm-hmm. like, you know, you could argue that he maybe has a lot of responsibility in terms of like for a lot of people's um, deaths and things, but he <laughs> doesn't agree. Yeah, he wouldn't fair. agree. He would say a wand is a tool and it chooses you, but I don't have any, like, I don't have any blame for what you do with a wand, mm-hmm. you know. And and a wand doesn't have to be a weapon. I guess I guess that's what is, although he maybe knows that some are more likely to be, but it's, you know, it's different from maybe someone that sells weapons, you know, uh, in another way that it, that are just intended to harm things or people right and and we do hear him lament sometimes the mm-hmm. destruction that a wand causes he's like if i had only known what that wand was going out into the world to do but i think that's almost like his way of deflecting blame i don't think he really feels blame no i think he's deflecting like judgment from other people because mm-hmm. other people might be like you sold voldemort his wand and that wand killed hundreds of people right how can you live with yourself um, so he's like, well, if I had known, I would never have sold it to him. But I think that's a lie. I think he totally would have sold it to him. Yeah, anyway, right. Because his, he sees his role as facilitating what a wand chooses, not as I'm act, I'm a salesman selling you a wand. I'm giving you a wand and you're yes. paying me, but that wand chose you. Right. You know, yeah. I didn't have anything to do with that except that I made it. Yeah. And I think just in, um, you know, kind of back to this scene, this whole weighing of the wand ceremony is is really interesting for, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, symbolic, and it's mostly just, like, all right, we're checking that you kind of have no... Um, no problems. No problems, no technical difficulties leading into the mm-hmm. tournament, but it is more symbolic, uh, like we're saying, with what these things represent, you know, what... As we also think about, like, the goblet, and when we were talking about what does the goblet choose in its champions, mm-hmm. um, seeing kind of, like, the balance of, of you know, different qualities and different people that the goblet chose, and then also the wand chose. Like, there's a lot of power power in these magical objects. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, uh, this is, like, a small thing, but um, the fact of this ceremony is... Um, a surprise to Harry. And I think that's funny because it illustrates how much help he needs to kind of get on the same level as everybody else. Yeah, because he wasn't prepping for this. He, he, he hadn't been told about it. And yeah. it's a complete surprise to him. Whereas like other people like Cedric, like uh, Ollivander's like, ooh, one looks in great condition. And Cedric's like, yeah, I polished it last night. He, he probably doesn't polish it every night. He probably polished it specifically because he knew the wand mm-hmm. ceremony was happening today. Whereas Harry is completely taken by surprise. So like, Either Harry isn't paying attention to the scheduling or, like, no one's telling him about it. But either way, he's clearly out of his depth. Yeah. And he's not organized enough to understand what's going on. And, like, as we'll see in a couple chapters, he's barely equipped enough to even, like, start studying before the first task. Like, I need to figure out what my plan is, what I'm going to do. 
he like doesn't really know. He's like completely overwhelmed. So he needs the help that he ends up getting right. from the people that are cheating. Um, otherwise, he'd have no chance whatsoever. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Weighing of the Wands. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially David's lesson on wand lore, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we face the dragon of Chapter 19, the Hungarian Horntail. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.